had people do up crazy. Oh, oh, hey, welcome to Amsterdam Talk Season 2, Episode 26 or 27. Today, I have with me Miss Jennifer Vaughn with me from the Don't Stop Me Now podcast, correct? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, Don't Stop Me Now. She's an advocate <laughs> for HIV. How are you doing, Miss Vaughn? I'm doing really well. I just got off work a little while ago, just running on some errands and running home to talk to you. <laughs> okay, well, before we start, you tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm a 51-year-old single mom of three. I have a 21-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 14-year-old. Um, I live in California, kind of near Santa Cruz, grew up in the Bay Area. Um, I'm a teacher and... Uh, what else? What else? What else? I like to surf, skate, snowboard, uh, all those crazy things that, you know, 51-year-old women do. And um, just living my best life out here. Yeah. Are you sure you're 51? I swear to God, I am. <laughs> August 24th, 1970. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, congratulations, you know, for hitting the big 5-0. But if you'd asked me guess it, I would have been like, oh, she's in her 30s at least. Oh, no, 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 no. I feel like I'm 30. You know, you'll see. It, you definitely, your brain and everything feels the same, but you just keep the, you know, the age keeps going up and you can't because you still feel young. Got yeah. you. Okay, so we brought you in here to, you know, talk about like, you know, dating with HIV um, mm -hmm. and you're an advocate, you're advocate with, you know, for people that are positive. How long have you been an advocate for this? For well, um, I was diagnosed in 2016, um, right around almost six years ago. It was February 15th, 2016. I'd been getting really sick, didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, by the time I was diagnosed, I had an AIDS diagnosis, meaning that my CD4 count was really low and I ended up. Um, having PCP pneumonia, I was like, yeah, I was real, real, real sick. And, um, but I got better and it, you know, I couldn't believe that I was going to get to feel normal again for one thing, let alone like, you know, the medicine wasn't making me feel sick. Like I felt absolutely like myself again. And I couldn't believe it. First of all, there's, and I, I was like, why is nobody talking about this? Like, why can't I find anything on the internet about this? Why do I feel so alone in this? I just felt like there was like, nothing but negative shit on the internet about HIV and people like calling people out saying this guy gave it to me this you know everybody had bad shit to say it was always calling people out I didn't see anything really positive and I didn't see any women that look like me that was the other thing I just saw gay men I couldn't find anybody so I thought okay I I, I had a partner at the time we ended up staying together an additional five years we're no longer together but that's a whole nother story. Um, so I asked him how he felt about me making a YouTube video to kind of explain to my, cause at the time I didn't have social media. I had like Facebook, I had like 300 friends and fam family. And I thought I want to do a video explaining like exactly what happened, how I got super sick, how nobody diagnosed me for two and a half years. And I had some really obvious symptoms that, you know, like a swollen lymph node. I had, um, just some things that like doctors should have been a little bit more like, huh, maybe that we should look into that further. But I had never tested for HIV um, during those two and a half years. And I know who got who I got it from. Um, I figured that out pretty soon after my diagnosis. So I was able to figure out how long I'd had it. So by the time I was diagnosed, it'd been about um, two and a half years. Okay. And so I was just like, you know, I kind of wanted people to understand like how it all went down, how I really, you know, got really sick. It didn't need to happen. I didn't need to get that sick if I had found out so much sooner or had tested, 
I never w- would have been to this place where I felt like I was almost dying. But also I wanted people to know that, my God, you can come back from an AIDS diagnosis and have a totally normal life. We, like you don't have to die today from AIDS. Like that doesn't even have to happen. So I, I didn't know that myself so much. And I also didn't know like, oh, I could have a totally normal lifespan. I also can't transmit this sexually once I'm undetectable, just meaning I take a pill a day. The medication is free. Um, I My doctor is in my town. I thought I'd have to drive to San Francisco and see a specialist. Now there's HIV doctors all over the place. So a lot of things I didn't know. So I wanted this information to be out there. So I thought, and this was kind of around the time, it was 2016, and a lot of people were branching out doing a lot of YouTube, like follow my life YouTube channels. And I I was really into a few of them. There was a local guy, a skater that I followed. And I kind of was like, I kind of want to do what he's doing. I'm going to, I'm going to tell my story first of all, and then share the link on my Facebook. Sorry, I I can talk a lot. So you cut in anytime. Um, (laughs) But I, (laughs) so I, I did this 30 minute video explaining basically what had happened to me. And I wanted to be able to use that. What was that? What happened? What happened? Yes, what happened? Oh, so, okay, so I, I added the link to my Facebook, and then I the YouTube channel just started getting followers. Well, I got um, subscribers, and I was like, well, who are these people? Why are they following me? I didn't expect that. And then the video kept going and going, and just I just kept making more videos, and it turned into a, a channel about HIV, and that's how my advocacy started. So it was really organic. I kind of thought, I mean, I remember laying sick on my couch, and my girlfriend said, I have a feeling you're going to like tell people about this and educate people. She says, I just have a feeling you're going to do that because I was already a teacher, right. um, a substitute teacher. And so I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like I was so sick in that moment. I'm like, maybe. And then like it totally happened. And like that's all I do now is it's not all I do, but it's uh, takes up a big part of my day for sure. Talking about it through all my social media. So it's just grown from there. YouTube was the beginning and then um, I branched into Instagram in 2017. And then, of course, COVID happened and everyone jumped on TikTok. And I'm like, that is, I love TikTok. It's my favorite. I don't even do YouTube anymore. I'm like, fuck YouTube. It's a nightmare. Making YouTube videos is a lot of work and you don't get paid you know, jack shit for it. So it's like Insta- or, um, TikTok, super fun. Music, they're short. It's catchy. I, just, I love it. I love it. So much fun. Okay. So. Yeah. So you say back in 16, you, you were laying on this couch and you were sick. You were sick. Like, yeah, you said you had a 30 minute video explaining your journey. Like, how did you feel like when you first were diagnosed? Like, like, oh, man, it was that was a dark moment. Yeah. And by the time I made the YouTube video, I should explain it was five months after I'd been diagnosed. So I was all better by then. But um, yeah, when I got that call, I had gone in to the doctors probably three times within three weeks. By the third visit, I'm like, look, I'm not, this is not going away. I don't know what's going on with me. Cause they kept sending me home just saying, you know, it's viral, drink fluids, get rest, you know, what you would typically say for something that's viral. And it was viral, but it was HIV. It wasn't just something my body could take care of on its own. So, um, yeah, I, they said, okay, we're going to send you in for blood work. And it came back abnormal. There was something up with my, uh, I think it was my white blood cells. And they said, okay. And I remember looking at that on the, there was a stamp that a little rubber stamp and they had checked the box abnormal. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, 
And, and then I, so I go in to see another doctor the next day and this is, I see an infectious, no, it was an internal medicine doctor. And he said, so we're going to test you for everything. Um, like lupus, um, you know, meningitis, like, he's like, if you feel like you're getting like confused, get to the, e e the ER right away. I was like, what is happening to my life? You know, I've got three kids and I just, I, it was scary. Cause I, I kind of thought I had cancer. And then I also thought I, I surf. So I thought, God, did I swallow a parasite from the ocean? And that's what's like, I'm feeling head to toe, head to toe. Cause at that point I was super achy. My whole body was so achy and, um, super tired. Um, you know, I couldn't eat. I was totally nauseated. So I'd lost weight, all the classic symptoms of HIV and AIDS. And, um, so I got that phone call about three hours after I had the blood drawn and I was home when I got the call. And a lot of people just can't believe that you could actually find out over the phone. It totally happens like that. People find out when they do life insurance policies. I know a woman who has got it in the mail. She was coming home from work and opened the inner mail and said she was denied the life insurance policy because her blood work came back with an HIV positive. That's how she found out. Like I hear the craziest stories of how people find out. So Anyways, I get the phone call from the doctor and he says, you know, we did get a positive back. Um, you have tested positive for the HIV antibody. And I, I remember just thinking like, oh, fuck, like, how did this happen? Oh, my God. And I had been a single mom dating. I had been on Tinder and I had, you know, I definitely had dated, I don't know, had sex with plenty of guys. And I was just thinking, oh, my God how long has this been in me? Who gave this to me? Like, I, and also I felt immediately like I, I messed up. Like I, I messed up or else this never would have happened. Like I did something wrong for sure because otherwise this never would have happened. But do you know how many people are out there having unprotected sex who never ever get HIV? It's just, it was just basically unlucky. Unlucky. I came across somebody who was high risk for HIV and uh, basically he was uh, an ex needle user. He had shared needles for drugs and when he was high on meth, he was having sex with men. So those two things are super high risk for HIV. So um, I was with him. We had had an eight-month relationship. And so, I, you know, in that moment, I felt like my life was over. I thought I was going to die. I, you know, how long do I have to take care of my kids? Who's going to raise my kids? Can I work? All of those things. Like every question you can even think of, like, went into my head in that moment. And it was so dark. And also, my boyfriend at the time was in the room looking at me going, well, what did they, what is he saying? And I, I look over at him and we'd been dating a year and I was like, he, I just look at him and I'm like, that relationship's over. He's going to leave. He's going to like, all my secrets are going to come out now. He's going to know I'm a whore. Like that's kind of like in my mind. And I thought, oh my God, my kids are going to find out what I've been doing when, when they're at their dad's or whatever, you know, like those things all come and you're like, oh my God, everybody's going to think I'm the worst person ever, ever. I mean, all I did was have sex like that. This is such a bad thing. Right. But the, in your in your mind, you're thinking that. And so I thought he would leave me. He didn't. He did stay with me. And he was negative. Um, he I always talk about this a lot. He'd been exposed to me for an entire year and he was negative. And, you know, female to male transmission is really, really low risk with regards to HIV. So a lot of times I see that story a lot. Women get it and it kind of stops with them. But yeah. So, yeah, super dark super dark feeling and I was physically ill on top of it. So just to like even comprehend, like that's what was causing it just kind of compounded that physical, like how bad I felt physically. So yeah, it was, it was bad. So you say like men to women is super low. It's yeah. Female to male, female to, female male. to male. Why is it super low female to male? 
because we just don't really have a way to get it inside of a man's body because it's like women have two holes. We are, we have two receptive areas that are, that can be torn and semen can get in there. And that's typically how it's transmitted. And that's why it's so high risk for men because men have sex really one way. And so it's the receptive partner that's high risk for it. Um, but for a woman to put it in a man's body, it's not herpes. Herpes is super different. That's skin to skin. But for mm -hmm. HIV, it's super specific and it has to reach the bloodstream. It has to actually touch the bloodstream and be like, even, even with that, like I'd been exposed to this person who gave it to me for eight months. He had it the whole time I was with him. And when I look back on when I zero converted, what I think when I zero converted, because it's like I'm looking back at when I had these really extreme symptoms, it mm -hmm. was two weeks after we broke up. So like I got it literally the last week we were together, meaning I'd been exposed to him for eight months and didn't get it. Like, I'm pretty sure. Wow. So, you know, how did like once you was diagnosed and mm -hmm. you ever approached him about it? Okay, so that's a fun story. Um, <laughs> I did. I reached out to him right away. I found him through, uh, I had to like find his cousin on Facebook first. I, did, we, I didn't have his phone number anymore. Um, and I said, Eric, and he's on my TikTok. So if anybody goes on to my TikToks, if you scroll down to the, the guy in the car with me, because we did a YouTube live together, it's him. And he's fine with being like, you know, talking about, he, he jokingly calls himself my HIV infector. We jokingly say that because we're like, we're all good with what happened. But yeah, when I first found, I mean, it's taken a while to get to that point. But when I first found out within 20 minutes, I, I told my partner at the time, I, I know who it is. I know it's got to be Eric because he is the only one that's like super high risk for HIV. And so if, within four days, I got a hold of him. And I said, you know, I, his mom said, yeah, he's, he's positive. But we gave your name and number to the clinic when he was diagnosed. So he was diagnosed two and a half months after we broke up, mm -hmm. like literally right after. And he never called me personally, but he gave the clinic my name and number, which is fine. That's what you should do. Right. Um, and uh, I don't know. They never called me. And so I never got the call. They were in Sacramento. I was in Santa Cruz County. And, it, you know, I could blame him. I could blame them. But whatever. I'm responsible for my own body, too. I could have also been testing for HIV. So I but I just never had really thought about it much. I I tested in 2011 because I worked at a doctor's office where we all decided to test for fun, me and all the ladies. And I got tested with each of my pregnancies. And other than that, I'd never tested for HIV. So that was it. And I was negative in 2011. So I'm like, okay, yeah, it was. And then, of course, he said, yeah, I'm positive. But he goes, dude, I thought they called you. And he goes, I assume they called you. You tested, you were negative, and you just went on with your life. He goes, I never in a million years thought that you were positive. He goes, I just, he goes, I don't know. He goes, I was in my own funk, going through my own shit. He went totally like downhill when he found out his diagnosis and went into drugs again, became homeless, mm. just, you know, became really selfish about his own life and not didn't really think about anybody else. So. I wasn't on his radar at all. So, yeah. So, yeah, that that was a people get really mad on the Internet about him. And that's why I've recently re-interviewed him or interviewed him just so he could tell his side of it. And people could see, like, look, you don't have to, like, hate the person that gave it to you. We're all human. He didn't try to give this to me. It just happened. I mean, it just shit shit happens, you know. Right. So, so he that was his first um intel of no one after two months after that so it was like never that he knew before right that, that i know of i mean i, well, I don't think so i talked to a lot of people think that he they like, he knew i'm like no the guy was such a hypochondriac he for sure 
would have said something. There's just no way. He didn't know. I mean, I'm yeah. not here to judge anything like yeah. that. But I'm just asking, like, it was never brought up. But if you say two months after, then that's the that's what we're going with, two months after. So, and he went yeah. into a deep, dark place. But he did tell the doctors to call out to you. They never reached out to you. So, correct. Um, you finally got a hold of him and explained to him. And he said what he said. So, now your partner at the time, mm-hmm. how did, you said he stayed. But how did he feel? Like, did he, like, change or he just remained the same? Good question. Uh, no, he didn't change. He was supportive. Uh, we have a we had an interesting relationship. He was from Montreal, Canada, basically the complete opposite side of the U- United States and a little east and or uh, north. And so we had a long distance relationship. So he was here during my the winters. We had just done this for one year. We'd only been together one year, but he was basically scheduled to leave. And like three weeks after I was diagnosed, he was scheduled to drive back to Canada and then work all through the summer because he has his own business that once the snow melts, it's like an um, construction type business. Um, and then he would come back and live here again during the winter. And then we go back and forth flying and meeting, you know, seeing each other like every um, every month kind of. So it's an it was a not the most traditional relationship. It was long distance. Um, and, but he, so he basically, as I got pretty much better and normal, he was leaving for Canada again. And I was like, I never asked him in those three weeks, are you going to stay with me? I just didn't, I couldn't even ask. I assumed since he didn't leave from the day he found out and he Mm -hmm. never brought it up that he would stay. But when he drove back to Canada, I thought, well, he could just say he doesn't want to. But then I ended up going out to Canada about, um, three months after my diagnosis, about two months after he left. And it was like nothing had changed between us. So I knew then that, and I mean like nothing, like he didn't use condoms or anything. Like I knew everything was fine. And he wasn't afraid of me because he'd been exposed to me with a a really high viral load. My viral load was 507,000 at the time. Um, and then when I took the medication, it dropped down to undetectable, which means the lab, the labs can't even find it. The lab test can't find it. Um, it doesn't mean it's gone. It just means that it's so well hidden in my cells. It's not in my free flowing blood. So it's not, I'm not transmittable even, you know, but women already, like I said, are really, you know, it's hard for a woman to give it to a man. So he just knew like, he's like, well, if I can't get it from you when you had a super high viral load, there's no way I'm going to get it when you're undetectable. And to me, I mean, for him, I wasn't any different to him. I was still Jennifer and nothing had changed, but what had changed is that I started to, you know, start this advocacy I started to like talk about it publicly publicly and he was he was okay with it in fact he was kind of excited about like the whole you know talking to people through comments trolls and all the shit people were saying to me and he was like you should handle it this way we talk about we talked about it all the time and uh you know and where where what it could lead to and you know I had offers to do commercials and I tried out for different commercials for drug companies and then at the end I was never picked and I, I, they said, oh, you ended up making it to the very last, but they, they cut you at the last minute and they would never tell me why. And I know why I know why, cause I don't fit the demographic. Like white women are so low on the spectrum of who has HIV that if they put me in a commercial, it wouldn't be reaching the right audience. Like it wouldn't even make sense. So like, I understand that. Um, so we were underrepresented, underrepresented because they're really the amount of us or it's low. Like I was one of 1200 Caucasian women that were diagnosed with HIV that year. And I think that year there was 38,000 new diagnoses in the U S and I was one of 1200 white women. That's how low we are on, on 
the scale of who has it. So anyways, I'm going off on a tangent, but anyways, he was supportive. Yeah, he was supportive. Nothing yeah. changed between us. That's real support to drive from Canada to California. <laughs> First of all, it's not like it's Vancouver, right? Where it's right there, but you're coming from Montreal. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I have here in California? I have the ocean and he likes to surf. That's why he likes to come oh. here. <laughs> and <laughs> and we have the mountains too. So he'd snowboard here, he would surf and he would skateboard. Um, but uh yeah. But we're not together anymore. That ended uh, about a year ago. So he can he does that on his own now. But that was the draw to come to California, too. Well, we got a question. Someone asked, are there any mental health resources available after being diagnosed? If not, do you feel the need to seek resources for yourself? Um, I never did. I felt OK with everything. Um, there definitely is. I mean, obviously, you should go through your um if you if you do have HIV, you'd go through your HIV doctor. They would hopefully be able to find something locally for you. You know, I had asked my doctor if there was like support, if there was like a support, a local support group that I could go to. And I remember her just like kind of being like biting her nail and going, yeah, so they're not going to they're not you're not going to feel like you relate to them. It's either going to be gay men or it's going to be like homeless people. That's what she told me. And I, and so it was for me, it was a really like lost feeling for five months before I did my YouTube video. I didn't know one other person that had HIV. It's not like I have girlfriends from college or like my aunt has it. Like it just, it just is not around me at all. I don't, I don't neighbors. No, I don't like, didn't know anybody. So I, that's why I was, you know, for, for me, it was going online and doing my own, like just putting shit out there, hoping to find somebody because I didn't know anybody. But once I connected with other women that had it, that helped so much. So I, yeah, I always tell people the first thing to do when you're diagnosed is, well, you know, yeah, get connected with people online for sure that are, that are diagnosed also, because you do feel like you have this common bond and it, it helps so much to talk to other people who are, who have HIV also. But yeah, it's, I, I do think a lot of people, uh, I've handled it really well. It's just kind of who I am, but I know a lot of people struggle for a while. Like, even uh -huh. though they know physically they're going to be okay, they deal with, um, you know, the stigma and knowing like, holy shit, like they don't want their family to know, or they don't want to have to tell new partners or, you know, their job might find out. And so all of these that have HIV and it, it really is, it really can affect your mental health. And uh, yeah, you gotta, you gotta seek, um, I always, yeah, online is the best, like pause.com has forums. I always tell people to go there and find the forums, but it's not, it's not private. It's kind of public. Okay. So some people that's worry about, you know, being on something that's more of a public profile. So, so. you say that people go through it differently. So now, I mean, so mm -hmm. you've been through it and you're this advocate now, you know, from, for the West coast, um, <laughs> possibly for the world. So you, you're this advocate and somebody is diagnosed positive and they come to you, like, how do you, you know, are able to like calm them to like to tell them it's going to be okay? Or you know, how do you do that? Well, I, oh my gosh, I can't do that. Cause I get so many people contacting me. I try so hard to do what I can, but you know, I've, there's only so much time in the day and I have my own life and I have to work and all that. So um, I always try to tell people you know, the same thing. Just go online, go on Facebook and just look up HIV. You're going to find groups for HIV, like get connected with people that that have HIV. Go on to um, Instagram and fo follow people that have HIV. But I always tell people the first things I always say is you're not going to die. 
just take your medication every day. You're going to be fine. You will not think of this every day. Eventually, this will this constant thinking of it and being, oh, my God, because you do have to go through this identity shift that like you're now a person living with HIV. You're no longer on that side of the fence. You're over here. Mm-hmm. The place you never wanted to be. Who the fuck wants to be on this side? Nobody wants right. to have this. This is awful. Like stigma is so bad. Like no one wants to have it. I lived 45 years of my goddamn life without this. Like how am I now over here? Like how did that even happen? So it's like you have to like have this whole new I thought you think about yourself differently. It's like now you're somebody with HIV. Oh my God, what is everybody going to think about me? And you do think like wherever you go, people are going to like Assume, they're going to know it. They're going to like, like, as if you have a flashing light on your head. I remember thinking that I, if I went to the store, people would be like uh, somehow knowing that I, that I had it and just know, you know, you get over that. You realize that people just don't know and everybody treats you the same. So I always tell people you will stop thinking about it every day. Um, you're going to live a normal life and you know, Oh, and that when you become undetectable, which takes, you know, roughly, a, you know, a month to two months when you you start me- your medication, you can't transmit this sexually. Nobody can. Like men can have anal sex with men. It can be bloody. It could be there could be semen everywhere. There can be tears. You name it, anything. It is impossible to transmit it. And for me, like that is it's beautiful. Like, thank fucking God. They can do whatever they want sexually and they don't have to worry. They they it's a huge relief and they don't feel like a threat to anybody else. You know, they people with HIV have gone years worried about giving this to other people that they love and they don't want to. And now they know they, they can't because the studies are there and it's totally it's it's solid. Like it's it's a really amazing data that they came up with. And it's absolutely, you know, it's it's totally, uh, you know, information that I, I give out constantly. It's one of the first things I tell people because not all doctors share this right away. OK, so, yeah. You, 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 so now you accepted yourself. Now, how do you tell your family, your children? How do you do that portion of it? That was easy just because, as you can tell, I talk a lot. So I like, it wasn't even hard. It was like more absurd to me. Like, uh, I cannot believe this, but I have freaking HIV. So that was, I didn't even know I had AIDS for like another five days. I just knew I had HIV and it was like, I had an answer to why I was sick. So it was like, we've got it. I just wanted to put the puzzle pieces together. It's like, how did this happen? How long have I had it? And then all the mystery things that had been happening to me for two and a half years were all making sense. My kids were in the house when I found out my daughter, my oldest was 15. My next was 12, also a girl. And then my son was uh, seven at the time. So Owen didn't get it because he was so young. I mean, he knew what mom was sick, but he didn't understand why. Ryan, my she, that's a girl. She's my middle one. I mean, she was 11. She was going to be 12 in a few months. I think I explained to her that I got it from Eric. And, you know, I assume she kind of got what that meant. My oldest was the one who got on her phone right away. She walked down like right after I was diagnosed on the phone. And I said, oh, my God, the doctor said HIV. And so she got out on her phone right away and started Googling HIV. Like I couldn't even put in those three letters in my phone. I could not manage to see any more bad news like that in itself was so much to comprehend. So she looked up stuff. And she said, mom, like people don't die from this today. It looks like there's medication. It looks like, like it's pretty like uh, manageable. And I was like, okay, so yeah. And I called my mom. I'm like, oh my God, mom. I like, you know, I called my dad, my brother and sister knew, like even my first cousins knew that night Mm -hmm. because they all, everybody knew I'd been sick. And so I wasn't, and blabbermouth me, I told my neighbor because she knew I'd been sick. And then I told 
you know, some friends. And I was like, I had told so many people at one point that I was like, you know, I like, I'd rather just have people ask me questions instead of me being a big secret to everybody. And then that way, if they have questions about it, I can just tell them what it is. And then I kept trying to wrap my brain more and more around that. Like, why do I need to feel bad about this? Like, I don't even know why I need to feel bad. Like, why, why should I not be able to share this with everybody? Cause I kept like rethinking like, shit, should I have told everybody? Like that totally went through my mind. Like, should I have told people? And then I was like, I kept having to kind of go through that and being like, I think it's okay. I did. I think it's okay. You know, like, is this going to come back and bite me in the ass? And mm. then I just kind of kept moving forward with it in that way. And just was like, well, now these people know. And I guess, you know, the more people I tell, the more people will know. I just didn't want people talking behind my back. I was like, just ask me if you have any questions. Nobody was like judgmental, shun away from you, you know, felt like since you were on that side of the fence, like, yeah. I mean, because, you know, from a person that's being on, this, on that side of the fence, we don't know a lot about it. So sure. especially back, what, 70s, 80s, when people just had all types of myths, like you could just get it by somebody sneezing on you or just <laughs> touching you and, you know, some some myths that we didn't know that wasn't true. St still today, a guy just texted me yesterday and he said, I kissed an AIDS patient, patient, that's what he said, an AIDS patient. Anyways, it was a girl with HIV who apparently did have AIDS, but he said he kissed her on the forehead and he has chapped lips. He's he's losing his shit right now thinking he possibly got HIV because he has symptoms, which are, you know, it's just all in his head. So I'm like, yeah, this isn't how it's transmitted. Like, it's amazing. Like, and you know, the guy's young, he's probably in his early twenties. So why is, he, why is this still perpetuated, these crazy myths? They're still there. People just... I don't know why they don't go away, but they don't. I mean, and, well, yeah. No, I mean, you, you, we look at the myths and like, you know, how we look and people say things, you know, which which is wrong at the time to say that, you know, Magic Johnson should not still be around, you know, but 30, right. 40 years later. Yeah, he got it when I was in college. So I think like 91 around there. So yeah, yeah. shit, has it been 40 years? Oh my God. Oh my God, it years. has since he retired from the nba you know announcing that that he was full-blown i mean yeah. well, he had hiv yeah. so um people just have this myth like there's a timeline there's a timeline you're supposed to be deceased but i'm guessing yeah. what, what i'm getting from you that we are so far advanced in it now whereas that you can live a normal life yeah yeah i know lots of people be just through advocacy who made it that were diagnosed in the eighties that should have died. Like they were totally told by their doctors, they were not going to live and they made it. And so you can't, I, they, they can't explain it. There's just some people that got goddamn lucky and they were sick. Like I, these people all got sick, but they got, they'd get better. And somehow their body would be able to fight off. Um, you know, they take the medication for the opportunistic infections. And then, you know, I don't know, maybe their bodies were able to handle the level of HIV in their body before the meds got good. They really didn't get, they weren't really good until about, I don't know, the mid nineties. And mm -hmm. so magic, you know, he was like Freddie Mercury died and I think 91 Brown and yeah. And so maybe magic got it at a time where he, you know, his body wasn't really like affected by it for a few years. Cause you can go like many years without it really doing a whole lot. Everybody reacts differently. Like I had AIDS in two and a half years. So it's like, you never know, but yeah. So 
by the time the medication got good, you know, magic probably just got on it and life went on as normal. So that's probably because people, some people like will write to me and they think he never had it. And I'm like, I doubt it. I'm sure he has it. Like, why would he put himself through that? So, yeah. So just some people got lucky and made it from the eighties, but that wasn't the norm. Most people that I know, like, especially from the gay community said that they lost like most of their friends, you know, really tragic time. Yeah. Gotcha. So like, you know, you take the medicine, like how many pills do you would say that you take a day? Oh, I, just one. Just I've one? always just taken one. Yeah. I used to take one uh, called Triumec. So tries for three and it has three medications in it. Um, they're called Abacavir, Dilutegravir and Lamividine. All of those three medications work on different areas of repl replication for the virus where it wants to re replicate in your body. So it stops it at all these different areas where it could possibly replicate and then it just shuts it all down. So what I, and now I just take one pill that has two of those drugs. They actually uh, realize that I can, people can take just two of those drugs and it still has the same effect and it still is efficacious. So I always explain to people like on my TikTok live. So like if you consider Pac-Man my pill and mm -hmm. the ghosts are HIV, the virus, Pac-Man sits at those gates. Like, first of all, Pac-Man went around in the very beginning and ate up all those goddamn ghosts. That's what it did right, right away. And that's why my viral load went from like 507,000 down to nothing. But now those ghosts are locked in to those little, you know, what do you call those little uh, tunnels? And right. they can't come into the game because those my the ghosts, which are my medications, sit there and wait. And they're like, yeah, you're not coming in. Like, they just sit there. So I take that medication every 24 hours. And those ghosts or the virus is in, uh, it's basically locked in a cell. It's called, a, um, um, oh, it's the reservoir. What's the name of it? Latent reservoir. It's a latent reservoir is what they call it. And so it sits in this thing, this latent reservoir, this part of the cell that it lays dormant in there. And so... If um, if it could get into that part of the cell, I'd be cured. But because the medication can't get into that part of the cell, um, I still will always have HIV. And if I stop taking the medication, that little um, virus that's in the, the cell would wake up, it would come out and it would start reproducing and uh, replicating again. And then I would, you know, uh, uh, it would take a long time, but I would eventually probably get AIDS again. But it would take, you know, it would take a long, 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 long time. Oh. So. You, you speaking you speaking of cure and that was my next question because mm -hmm. there's been reports that cures have came out there's a cure um simple chemo i'm, <laughs> I'm hearing chemo uh it was, um, well <laughs> in germany that happened the chemo that the guy was taking chemotherapy and he was cured well it wasn't chemo that wasn't just chemo so it's what it is, is and I, I interviewed him. His, he's called the Berlin patient. He's since passed away, but he didn't die from HIV. He didn't have it anymore. He died from um, leukemia. Um, okay. And so anyways, Timothy Ray Brown is the first one to be cured of HIV. And it's not a cure for the masses. This is totally like an aggressive treatment okay. to treat chemotherapy. And, and, and in the meantime, it actually cured him from HIV because the donor happened to have this genetic predisposition where they were... Um, they couldn't get HIV. So they had this, it's a, it's, it, it, they, these people are in Europe and apparently they're only male and it's like 2% of the population and they have, um, they are resistant to HIV. It's just crazy. So anyways, Timothy Ray Brown's donor, it was a stem cell transplant 
Um, and it basically just created brand new blood cells for him. And it got rid of all the old HIV and the new ones were without HIV. And so he was actually on PrEP, which is a pill that um, it's typically um, indicated for gay men who like to have sex without condoms and they will not get HIV. They take a pill a day and it prevents any kind of transmission. And so he was on prep, ironically, because he told me, laughingly said, yeah, I like to have sex with men, but I don't want to get HIV again. So I take prep. I'm like, oh, good, <laughs> you know, but yeah, he was cured. And then there was two other men that were cured, same exact um, way that he was. It was through this very aggressive uh, bone marrow, stem cell, um, chemo, leukemia, all that combined definitely nothing for the masses at all. It's really, really um, complicated. And then there was a woman recently who uh, they found was, she just all of a sudden doesn't have HIV anymore. That was a woman in Argentina. Argentina. I don't, they don't even know how that happened because that had nothing to do with uh, leukemia or cancer. And then there was the 